The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. I invite you to open them to uh, the Gospel of John, to John 14, 1 through 6. That's our passage this afternoon. Jesus comforts his disciples, and we receive comfort ourselves from his words. So, John 14, verses 1 through 6, let's now give our attention to God speaking to us in his word. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you also may be. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. This concludes the reading of God's holy word. May God now be pleased to attend it by the power of the Spirit. Well, has there ever been a time in your life that you were so depressed that you could barely function? Or maybe there was a time in your life that you experienced such deep grief that you did not know how you were going to be able to press on. Maybe you're going through a difficult circumstance right now where you're weighed down. You are going through difficult circumstances, marriage problems, conflict with others, health concerns or a concern about the future. Maybe you're carrying around a great hurt that has been done to you in the past and are having a difficult time trusting a particular person or trusting others in general, even trusting God. Maybe you're still carrying the burden of guilt 
of a sin you have committed in the past and having a hard time letting that go or guilt from struggling with sin in the present, a besetting sin. Perhaps you are feeling lonely, out of place, not really sure what your purpose in life is. Or you are just plagued with worry, anxiety, and fear. Don't really know why exactly. Well, God knows us and our burdens full well. He is intimately acquainted with our griefs, and He knows how to address us in His Word. And that's what He's doing here in our passage today. This is part of Jesus' final words to His disciples to provide comfort and encourage for them. Jesus doesn't scold them. What's wrong with you? Don't worry about anything. Rather, He comforts them. And this is uh, the words that our Lord has for us today as well. So three comforts for a troubled heart. The first is faith in God. The second is heavenly hope. And the third is knowledge of the way. So first, faith in God. Verse 1, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Instead of being troubled, believe in God. Believe also in me. So Jesus says this because he knows his disciples' hearts are troubled. Think about what he has just told them. He's given them several pieces of bad news from a human perspective. He says that one of them is going to betray him. He said that he's going to leave them and they could no longer follow him. And he told Peter that he was going to deny him three times. This is a lot of bad news all at once. And... The bad news is not going to end. He's going to continue to give them bad news. He's going to say the world's going to hate you, and the world is going to persecute you. And so understandably, their hearts are troubled. And so Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. But here's something really interesting. Christ is telling them this, don't let your heart be troubled. When his heart is troubled. Remember that from John 13:21? He says, "I am troubled in spirit." The same thing as being troubled in heart. My inside is troubled. While he's troubled, he's telling his disciples not to be troubled. Is that a contradiction? Is that hypocrisy? Obviously not. Our Lord is no hypocrite, but what do we make of this? Well, Christ was troubled because he was going to be betrayed. He tells his disciples not to be troubled because while they're going to betray him, he would not betray them. Although he was leaving them, he was not leaving them as Judas had left him or as disciples were going to leave him. In fact, Jesus is even going to go on to say, I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you my very spirit to be with you. But more than that, more than being betrayed by his disciples, Jesus would be forsaken by God. Christ was going to experience a thing that anyone should truly be troubled by, and that is the wrath of God. He was going to carry his disciples' ultimate sorrows, burdens, and troubles away so that they themselves would not have to bear them. He would be troubled in spirit by God 
so that we would know the peace of God. We would know the comfort of God. What, what, what it says of Christ in Isaiah 53 is surely true, where it says, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Christ is saying, I'm the one who's going to be troubled on your behalf and carry all your sorrows. I will take care of being troubled for you. You do not need to be troubled because I am with you and for you. And so he tells his disciples that instead of being troubled, they should believe in God and believe in Him. So the remedy to a troubled heart, to a heavy spirit, a crushed soul, is faith in God. It's to look away from ourselves and to look to who our God is. The world all around us tells us to have faith in ourselves, to believe in ourselves. You can do this. You can pull through. Here's a way to do it. While it, that might be true in sports, it might be true in a particular talent, it might be true at school or in a job that you need to have a reasonable level of self-confidence that you can do what you are being called to do while acknowledging that God has gifted you to do this in the first place. When it comes to living the Christian life, following Christ, handling difficulties, being troubled in spirit, we put no confidence in the flesh, but we put our confidence in God. That is a solution to a troubled heart. Now you may say, but I already have faith in God, and yet I'm troubled. That's not working. Oh, but beloved, our faith is not perfect. We are more weak and frail than we know. Our faith needs to increase. Our faith needs to grow. We need to look at the object of our faith and grow in dependence upon Him. Now, as a reminder, faith is to believe in Him, to, to trust in Him, to depend upon Him, to rely on Him, to lean on Him, to have confidence in Him. Faith is an empty hand held out to God, offering Him nothing but receiving everything from Him. When it comes to faith, you offer God nothing, but you receive everything from Him absolutely freely. It is not bargaining with God. God, if I promise to do better, will you be with me? It is not trying to twist God's arm by offering up some works, some merit of your own. Faith is not you making any offers, paybacks, or payments to God. With faith, you make no promise to God, but instead you receive His promises to you freely. And with, with faith comes confidence in that person Faith is to have confidence in that person that he is able and willing to do what he says he's going to do. And it stems from believing what he says about himself. Think about who our God is. He's not just a superhero. He's not a superhuman. He is God. He is an eternal, uncreated, unchangeable, sovereign, all-wise, all-good perfectly executing all His holy will. 
You can trust this God. You can trust that He is working out all things for your good. And that He is able to do that. And that before one of your days came to be, they were already written in His book. You can't change that. And faith also includes believing that Christ truly is satisfied, that God is truly satisfied with the work of Christ on your behalf. Therefore, your sins are no longer held against you. God keeps no record of our wrongs because that certificate of debt has been taken out of the way and nailed to the cross forever. And believing this means that you know that God is for you. A lot of fear comes from not being convinced or persuaded deeply within that God is for you. That something that's going to happen to you is because He's punishing you because you're not being good enough. But even discipline is for our good because He loves us. And so knowing that God is for you, that that. That death is not a bad thing. For it's, it's God's servant to bring you into His presence where you will be welcomed. Not because you've been good enough, but because Christ took care of everything for you. Your sins are forgiven. They're not held against you. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. The only one, the only judge who could bring anything against you. Is the one who died for you. Is the one who's now interceding for you. How amazing to think about that. That you're going to face a judgment. You're going to stand before a judge. But this is the judge that's interceding for you and pleading for you. That died for you. That took your punishment and penalty for you. So that you're welcomed into his presence. That is why we can have faith in God, and that's what it means to have faith in God. We believe in God by believing in the work and merits of Christ on our behalf, resulting in a bold confidence to come before His throne. And that way, it doesn't leave us to deal with our sin in another way, by making excuses, by the old scapegoat, blaming other people for it, minimizing our sin. Rather, we're able to freely confess it. Because we know that Christ is for us and has put sin away. We don't need to construct our own righteousness and then defend it. We have a righteousness not of our own that we receive freely through faith. So the first and foundational comfort or remedy for a troubled heart is faith in God, which includes faith in Christ and see Himself is God in the revelation of God. A second comfort for a troubled heart is the hope of heaven. Verses 2 through 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself where I am. You also may be. So keep in mind that this is still in the context of Jesus telling him things to comfort them so their hearts aren't troubled. And so part of that comfort is the hope of heaven. Now, our 21st century American mentality might cause us to be a little bit confused about what Christ says here about the Father's house. 
uh, if we interpret it through the American dream. Uh, Christ is going to provide uh, a large house for each one of us. Perhaps that private property that I always wanted with all those big bucks. Oh, that would be great. You, you may even be more tempted to think this way if you're reading the King James Version or the New King James Version, which says, in my father's house are many mansions. And so reading our experience into the text, you may think, hey, this is a 21st century large house. I'm going to have a mansion. <laughs> All right. However, the King James Version's translation of mansion uh, it came from the 4th century uh, Latin Vulgates, and the Latin word was mansio. And at the time, it meant simply a place to stay, a room in an inn for travelers. And back in the 15th and 16th century, during the production of the King James Version, that's also what it meant. It meant a room, a, a place to stay, but it increasingly uh, began to, to mean the chief room, the biggest room. And then now in the 21st century, it means a big house. So the, the meaning of the word has changed. And the Greek word simply means a place to stay, a dwelling place, a room. So he's not talking about a mansion here. But uh, don't let your hopes be dashed. It's actually still a really good thing. This hope that Christ is declaring in these verses is that we will be able to dwell with God, the God for whom we were made. He says that in his Father's house are many rooms. Now, what is the Father's house? Well, back in John chapter 2, Jesus referred to the temple as his father's house. So the father's house is the temple. And this is how it's portrayed in the Old Testament. It's the house of God. It's the dwelling of God. So if we're going to understand what Jesus is saying here, we need to understand it like the way they would. What do they have in mind when they hear father's house? They hear the temple. Jesus says, do not turn my father's house. Uh, into a den of robbers, but it's a place of prayer. So the temple is the place where the Father's house is, where God dwells with His people. However, the temple was also the place that no one could go into except the priests. We're going to see this when we get into Leviticus. But now Jesus is telling them that there are many rooms in the temple, in His Father's house for them. They can enter into the most holy place. The place that only the high priest could enter into once a year. They can enter into it. There's many rooms there. This is the heavenly realm of which the temple was a mere copy and physical picture, a type. And this is why the, the Bible ends with, behold, the dwelling place or the tabernacle, the house of God is now with man. He will be their God and they will be his people. He will dwell with them. Revelation explicitly says this house or temple of God is the new heavens and the new earth. This is what Jesus is talking about. There's a place for you there. 
There's a place for you to dwell there in the new heavens and the new earth forever. There's a place prepared for each one of His disciples. Now, how does Jesus go and prepare a place for them? Does He need some time in heaven to do some construction work to erect a specific room for you? Well, we should not think of this as a construction project in Jesus' torment. Rather, we need to understand this in light of Jesus' work as priest, making purification for our sins so that we may dwell in His true and final temple. The issue is not that Jesus needs thousands of years to construct a house for us. He created all things in the space of six days. Rather, the issue is that we need to be cleansed from our sin in order that we may dwell in His house forever. And so Jesus going to prepare a place for us is that He's going to go to the cross in order to die for our sins, to make atonement for them, to cleanse us so that we may dwell in His presence forever, that He may enter heaven as a forerunner for us. As Hebrews 9, 11-12 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So Christ preparing a place for us is Christ making atonement for our sins by offering up Himself on the cross as our great high priest in pain for them forever. And so this is our comfort in times of trouble, knowing this heavenly hope that we have. In this life, we will have trouble, but we take heart. Christ has overcome this world and just a little while, this vapor of a life, and then we will be with Him. We will be there where there is inexpressible joy that's full of glory. And the comfort here is also that if Jesus goes to the cross, then He will most certainly have a place for us and come back for us, as verse 3 says. If I go to prepare a place for you, as if I go to the cross, I will also Come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus is saying, if I go to the cross, if I suffer the wrath of God for you, so that your sins may be paid for in full, why would I not come back for you then? To bring you to this place that I prepared for you by my own suffering and death. Why go to the cross only to not bring us into His presence. That's why He went to the cross, in order to reconcile us to God, in order to bring us to God. Why die for us to make us acceptable for God's presence, only not to bring us there? That is what Jesus is saying here. Christ did not die only to alleviate us from a guilty conscience here on earth, but to bring us to Himself in heaven. Notice the centerpiece of heaven is Christ Himself. He tells His disciples at the end of verse 3 that where I am, you may be there also. 
Why is heaven so glorious and desirable? It's because Christ is there. And because we are still deeply sinful, we struggle with idolatry, and we do not always see how great heaven is going to be. We're, we we uh, oftentimes are caught up in the idolatry of this life. But God created us for Himself, and our hearts will never be fully satisfied until we see Him in glory. As Augustine said, O oh Lord our God, our hearts were, were, we were made for You, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in You. Our hearts may deceive us in thinking, oh no, the created world is the most ultimately satisfying and God is not. But that's just a deception of our hearts. We truly will be satisfied with our God when we get there. And I also don't want you to miss this. Christ wants us to be there with Him. Christ wants us to be there with Him. He goes to the cross, suffers the unimaginable wrath of God in order that where He is, we may be also to bring us to be with Him. And He affirms this in His high priestly prayer in chapter 17 where one of His desires and pleas to the Father is this, O Father, I desire them to be with Me where I am. Christ desires us to be with Him in heaven. It is Christ's desire for us to be there. And He requests this of the Father. And what request would the Father ever deny His Son? And so we who believe will certainly be there because He went to the cross for us in order to prepare a place for us. And He desires us to be there. And He asked the Father for this. What greater hope and security can there be than this? What blessed assurance is this? So the hope of heaven is comfort for a troubled heart. A third and final comfort for a troubled heart is knowledge of the way. Knowledge of the way to the Father. Knowledge of the way to heaven. Verse 4. And you know the way where I am going. Now, this may seem like a strange point at first. You may be asking, how is this a comfort for a troubled heart? Well, once we consider this just a little bit, I think you'll see it, hopefully. How many of you experience comfort when you're lost in the woods, for example? You're turned around, you have no idea where you're going, you do not know how to get to your destination. I remember one time I was hunting by myself in Montana, and, you know, it, I started to follow some elk track. And thought, okay, you know, I can find my way out. I don't need to pay attention to where I am because I can find my way out of this. I just follow the tracks back out, right? And also looking at features around me. And as I'm kind of getting up to the top of the mountain, a snowstorm moves in. And in about 15 minutes, there are two inches of snow on the ground. You couldn't see anything. I was covered in snow. My rifle had this much snow on it. And guess what? I had no idea where I was. I also couldn't follow my tracks out because they're now covered. And I couldn't see any features like I saw before. That mountain over there, that's north, and this mountain over here is south. I had no idea where I was. That was not a comforting thing. 
to not know the way out. In case you're wondering, I did make it out. But how many of you would like to get lost in a big city, especially the bad part of town, and you don't know your way out? I'd much rather be stuck in the woods than in a big city. But you kind of get anxious and wonder, how will I ever get out of here? How will I arrive at my destination? Well, Christ tells His disciples that they should be comforted not only because they have the hope of heaven, but they know the way there. They know how to get there. And this is a gift from God. When Peter made that great confession about Jesus as the Christ, he said, flesh and blood did not inform you of this. This came from Father in heaven. Jesus said back in John 6 that no one is able to come to Him, to believe in Him, unless it's granted to them by the Father. And the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1.29 that faith is a gift from God. Faith is to believe in Christ. And that is the way to heaven, by believing in Christ. And if the Father has revealed this to you so that you do believe, even though your faith may be as small as a mustard seed and weak, if you believe, it's because God granted that to you. That, mean God, that means God wants you to be with Him in heaven. Now the disciples are still trying to play catch up and are still confused. Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? The disciples are still confused, thinking that he's talking about the next physical place to go. But Jesus answers by still speaking on, on this spiritual plane. Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus answers by talking about how to get to the Father. That is how to get to heaven. And Jesus makes the exclusive statement that he himself is the only way. Jesus doesn't merely know the way or can direct people on the right path. Rather, Jesus himself is the way to heaven, is the way to God the Father. The way to heaven is not many or by one's good works. Rather, it is by believing in a person, one person, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who brings many sons to glory by living a life of perfect righteousness for them, that they may have a righteousness not of their own, by which they may approach God, blameless and holy and beyond reproach. He is the one that brings many sons to glory by dying on the cross, shedding His blood to cleanse us from our sins, being raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and we who believe are seated with Him. He is the only way. There is no other name by which men may be saved but Christ. And so if we know Christ, then we know the way. If we know Christ, who is called the eternal life in 1 John, then we do have life. So what is the comfort that Jesus gives for a troubled heart? First is faith in God. It's knowing who our God is. Second, it's having the hope of heaven knowing that there is a place for us there because Christ died for us and that Christ wants us there. And third, knowing the way there 
that God has granted us the faith to believe. And so that is a gift from Him, demonstrating that we are His own. So may your hearts find great comfort, not in the ever-changing, fickle circumstances or people of this world, but may your confidence rest in this, knowing God, knowing the hope to which you have been called, and knowing Him who is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you take these truths and drive them deep within. Give us the faith to believe these things that our hearts may be comforted. That this world is not our final home or hope. That it will soon pass away. But we will soon be with you. Not because we were good enough. Not because we were sincere enough. Not because we were obedient enough. But because... You have loved us and given Your Son for us. And You long us. You long for us to be there where You are. May we also long to be there as well. And have confidence that we will be there because Christ has prepared a place for us by His death on the cross. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.